At a 1991 closed-door meeting of fellow internationalists, billionaire and former CFR chairman David Rockefeller praised his media allies. But his confidence that his words would not leave the room was later broken. We are grateful to the Washington Post, the New York Times, Time Magazine, and other publications whose directors have attended our meetings and respected their promises of discretion for almost 40 years. It would have been impossible for us to develop our plan for the world if we had been subject to the bright lights of publicity. That the world is now more sophisticated and prepared to march toward a world government. That these men aim to create a world system of financial control in private hands, able to dominate the political system of each country and the economy of the world as a whole. In short, they seek total and quiet control of the entire world. This is Parrot Talk. Brought to you by Restoring the Faith Media. RestoringTheFaith.com Good morning, this is Parrot Talk. Here on the Crusade Channel, live talk radio the way it should be, always on air, always online. Today is the 18th day of the 12th month of the year of our Lord, 2023. And we have had one heck of a weekend. Lots of interesting stories coming out this weekend. So many, probably too many to get through in one broadcast, if I'm being serious. I have to start with the whole Tucker alien thing. I know a lot of you are like, oh, it's Tucker. It's aliens. Aliens are demons from the air. Here's Tucker on what he actually thinks about aliens. The second thing that bothers me is the UFO story. And, uh, you know, the more you dig into that and talk to people with knowledge, with actual knowledge of it, again, that's another story where there are some, you know, fanciful ideas floating around that are just, you know, there's no evidence that they're true. But if you talk to people who, you know, have actual knowledge of it that they gathered themselves, there are parts of that story that I do not understand at all that are really, really, really dark. It's so dark that I, you know, haven't told my wife about it. I mean, I, I haven't verified any of this, but this is not just stuff that I read on the internet. I know you all are very, very grounded in that story. So I think I know, you know what I'm talking about, but there's some stuff there that's just like, man, I'm not even sure what that means. There's a spiritual component there that I I don't fully understand. Um, So yes, that story bothers me. And I think last thing I'll say that one of the reasons that we've had all these disclosures and all these, what, 10 whistleblowers at this point, and it hasn't really become front page news. Part of it's suppression. You know, parts of the government don't want you to know about it, but part of it is the public can't deal with it. It's too far out. The implications are too um, profound. And so, and I understand that because I've heard things where I'm just like, oh man, I I don't even really want to know that. Honestly, deeply disturbing stuff. You know, forget like saucers and technology. It's deeply, deeply disturbing stuff. Stuff that I haven't even told Natalie. I agree with you. It's so disturbing. I can't even tell my kids. My kids ask me different stories about it, and I. I won't say yeah, it because no, no. it's so dark. It's I so agree. dark. I yeah. totally agree. Miles is watching. So. Okay, Miles, if you're watching the show, Daddy's yeah. not going to tell you about that part of the UFO <laughs> stuff and what's going on with the government. Well, can, in that can, can I say one thing? I, I'm, they've known clearly. I mean, this is, I think, established, and I feel comfortable saying this as fact. The U.S. government, I mean, these are real, whatever they are. They're not human. And the government has known that for a long time, possibly going back to the 1930s at least. And, of course, there's tons of evidence in the written record, in the physical record, in paintings um, and, in the, and in literature that people have been seeing and interacting with these things for a long time. So we know that. But the justification one often hears is, well, the government, the government, various presidents who have been read in, not all have been, um, haven't wanted to disclose this because it would scare people. And I've always thought that's that's bullshit. You know, you're hiding a crime, which they are, by the way, in my opinion. Um, But I do think there's a sense in which that's not totally crazy. Like there is some stuff, if it's true, and I'm kind of thinking it may be true, that's so radical that... um, yeah, well, as we both said, we you know don't want to tell the people we love most about it because, like, why would you, you know, disturb someone like that? So I kind of get that. I hate to admit it. I'm not. I'm not arguing for hiding things. I believe in the truth and I believe in disclosure. But I understand the impulse. Like, holy smokes, this is heavy. You know what right. I mean? And the government's involvement in it makes it even heavier because then well, you realize the complicity. Exactly. Of it. 
Yeah. Okay, so we're talking about the same thing. I yeah. can tell. Okay. Yeah, 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 Excuse me. Uh, Should I go? No, 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 no. <laughs> we, this is what we used to talk about in commercial breaks all the time. This, this is the kind of stuff. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, uh, so at the time, I never would have believed any of that. But now I'm like, yeah, okay. Okay, so now we're supposed to believe that Tucker Carlson has gone from a flag-waving, patriotic, uh, kind of boomer conservative type to the uh, there's no conspiracy that he won't accept. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play you some tape of him saying that he's open to flat earth, but I'm only going to play that uh, because I feel like playing that. Here we have Tucker Carlson saying, that just a few years ago, he never would have believed that the United States government was complicit in some kind of contact with extraterrestrial lives. By the way, the extraterrestrials are somehow in the equipment today. If you hear a, a faint squealing in the background, I don't know what that is. I've started researching it. I've spent like half an hour trying to get rid of it. I think it is the sunspots or the solar activity. We've had we've had the the most solar activity now of of any recorded time in history. I'm sure that means nothing. Or at least since we've been recording solar activity. I don't know if it's getting into the equipment. I don't know if we, if I am subject to additional radiation where I am in the non-disclosed non-American country. I don't know what's going on with it. But there's just this there's this whistling in the background and we're talking about aliens this morning here on the Crusade channel. Live talk radio the way it should be. Tucker has gone from sort of like the 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 eccentric bow tie wearing backseater at Fox News to the Trump hating libertarian front page news guy, primetime guy, to now he is in exile. And in exile. He is, he is uh, continuing to seek ways to remain relevant in exile as he starts asking you for your money. And one of those ways is to be interviewed by all manner of uh, conspiracy theorists, including whoever this is, in which Tucker says that, quote-unquote, aliens are one of the few topics he is scared to cover because the things that he has learned are so dark he can't even tell his wife. There's a spiritual component there that I don't fully understand. You heard him say that. There are parts of the story that I do not understand at all that are really, really dark. It's so dark that I haven't told my wife about it. Parts of the government don't want you to know about it, but part of it is that the public can't deal with it. It's too far out. The implications are too profound. I have to tell you, I think there's a special skill for people who can talk about a subject without revealing anything about it for several minutes on end. Have you ever been the, uh, the unfortunate Saturday morning AM radio person? Where you turn on the radio and it's Saturday morning and it's like a really weird time slot, right? You're, maybe you're taking your children to a sporting match or you got some other reason to be listening to the radio at six or seven in the morning on a Saturday. And you hear the guys who are trying to sell you either reverse mortgages or, or some, other, <laughs> some other annuity. And they describe the thing week after week. For a full hour without ever telling you what it is. I mean, this is what these guys are doing. It's really incredible. It's a skill. I don't know if it's a good skill, actually, but it's a skill. That's, that's, that's basically what's happening. That's basically what's happening with, uh, with Tucker and the alien talk here. They describe how profound and spiritual and dark and creepy and far out it is. And they don't even tell you what it is that they're talking about. That's normal. That, that's what normal people do. Um, I think some of you may have heard about the, uh, about the reconsecration of the temple of democracy. You didn't hear it in those terms, though. The temple of democracy was reconsecrated over the weekend. 
this was pretty big news. It was broke, broke by, I think Laura Boomer broke the news that uh, there was this Senate staffer in one of the famous hearing rooms. This is the, the, the hearing room in which Sotomayor was confirmed. It was reconsecrated to, uh, well, to, to democracy. Oh you're, oh, you're saying it was desecrated. I see. They're saying, okay, I get it. Their side is saying that the temple of democracy was desecrated by the filmed, live-streamed Sod Medical Act inside of the uh, Senate chambers. No, I say it's, I say it's re-consecrated. Because that's what democracy is founded on. It's the very foundation of democracy. I want to, I want to play, well, can I do this? I don't know if I have enough time. I just don't know if there is enough time in this episode. There is this article that I am so fond of, and I recently rediscovered it. It was published uh, two years ago, almost to the day. And it is called The Fatal Trap of Universal Suffrage. Many Catholics, through universal suffrage, hope to restore the traditional city, or at least slow down the revolution. To do this, an electoral campaign or well-conducted lobbying would be enough. It is indeed difficult to resist the temptation to take the adversary into his own trap using the weapon he put out at, his, at our disposal, namely universal suffrage. And yet this would be a tragic misunderstanding of the nature of the enemy's weapon because it corrupts all who use it. The following document attempts to identify the principle of the motor of the revolution. During this study, we will attempt to model the functioning of the revolutionary process. A model is a description, a representation of reality intended to make it intelligible to us. If a model never claims to identify with the truth, with perfect knowledge of a phenomenon, a process or thing, on the other hand, it allows us to acquire more truth about the object of the study. However, the revolutionary phenomenon, by its scale and its inexorable nature, of its propagation seems to confirm the belief of its promoters according to which there is a sense of history, a progress of humanity. Well, on the contrary, it appears most unintelligible to the traditionalist thinker to such an extent that such are tempted to explain its expansion solely by the supernatural intervention of demonic forces. The question, therefore, arises, would every traditional city be condemned to disappear definitively? Furthermore, the French Revolution, by the way, this was a French author, is written in the French. I'm reading a Google Translate version of it. French Revolution, which saw the overthrow of a monarchy more than a thousand years old, born from the alliance of the throne and the altar, from the pact of Talbiac between Clovis and God. This revolution constitutes such a considerable event that the defenders of traditional France come to call themselves counter-revolutionaries. They therefore define themselves in relation to their enemy, as if they had lost their identity. These, because they forgot traditional principles, are tempted to defeat the revolution on its own ground, and with the tools it puts at their disposal, such as universal suffrage. However, is voting practiced under these conditions as neutral a weapon as they believe or claim? Does it have no effect on the person who uses it? The answer to these questions... And since this is a war between a traditional world and a revolutionary world, we will begin by consulting an illustrious warrior, the Chinese general Sun Tzu, in his work, The Art of War. The latter declares, He who knows the other and knows himself in a hundred battles will not be defeated. He who does not know the other but knows himself will be victorious every other time. Who does not know the other who does not know the other more than he knows himself will always be defeated. We must therefore begin by trying to clearly identify the two forces present. Okay, 
If you're just tuning in, I am reading a French article about universal suffrage. In other words, mass voting. We're in an election year. It's time for us to bone up on these principles here because the question is, does voting do something to the person who votes? Is there an effect? Is there a lingering effect on the soul of the person who participates in the illusion? That's my question to you. We must recognize in the Berber St. Augustine, one of the main artisans of the Christian West and his masterpiece, The City of God, remains a reference in political science. In this work, the Bishop of Hippo distinguishes two cities, two loves built two cities, self-love to the point of contempt for God made the earthly city, the love of God to the point of self-contempt made the city of God. One medievalist comments, the city of God is the city of the righteous who seek the kingdom of God before becoming part of the number of the elect in heaven. To this city of God, Civitas Dei, St. Augustine, opposes the earthly city, Civitas Terrena, which groups those who do not seek the kingdom of God. To both he gave the mystical name city. With the advent of modernity, Self-love takes its revenge. The Enlightenment endows it with a doctrinal and political corpus which produces a type of society unprecedented in the history of humanity. God is absent from institutions and relegated to the private sphere. To echo the ancient Augustine distinction and to account for the appearance of this novelty, sociologists, historians, and philosophers have introduced the concepts of heteronomy, The heteronomous society finds its justification, its legacy, outside itself in divinity. Jean-Luc Chabot, jurist and professor at the Paris Institute of Political Studies, specifies, quote, so-called heteronomous societies function on the basis of a system of values arising from a principle which is both external and superior to them. They are marked by the transcendence of divinity over view of human life and its social organization. This is the case of monarchical France, where Jesus Christ is institutionally recognized as true king by his lieutenant during the coronation ceremony. This Christian society therefore fully deserves the qualification of city of God. The autonomous society finds its justification, its legacy in itself, and ultimately in man. Within, quote, within the societies of Western Europe developed from the 16th century, a design for autonomy, not only of civil power in relation to ecclesiastical power, but much more fundamentally of human society claiming to constitute itself in principle. Such a statement implicitly aimed to effect a transfer of the absolute of religious transcendence for the benefit of imminence, political and social, to replace a normatively based a normativity based on religious otherness with a purely human normativity, having a claim to self-legitimize either through individual reason or through the social order. This is the case for societies resulting from the three revolutionary ideas of 1789, liberalism, nationalism, socialism. We will call this unique society resulting from modernity the city of man-god. The philosopher and former minister Luc Ferry, born in 1951, asserts in the God-man or the meaning of life that the feelings which emerge from modernity testify to a new relationship with the sacred, a transcendence inscribed in the imminence of human subjectivity in the space of a humanism of the man-god. By nature, the object of the fight between these two cities is a radically opposed conception of what the human being is and of his place in the world. Okay, that's the modern definition of society. Here's the Christian conception of man. There is one human nature throughout the ages. 
one human nature throughout the ages. From reading biblical te- texts, those through those of antiquity to contemporary times, we see that man does not change. He always asks himself the same questions, experiences the same feelings. He is always the seat of the same passions, the same distresses, and the same hopes. Natural morality is a science based on the observation of human behavior. Its principle is based on the observation. Stated among others by, uh, by Aristotle, man is by nature a political animal. This science uh, studies the hierarchy of human actions to achieve maximum happiness. When he deals with natural law, St. Thomas simply says, there is in every human a natural inclination to act in accordance with their reason, which is properly acting according to virtue. Man's intelligence has been obscured by original sin. And because of his passions, he is often tempted to justify his evil acts against his reason, against natural morality. To help him find his way, and thanks to Revelation, God, the Creator, gave him the gift of the Ten Commandments, summarized in the commandments of the love of God and neighbor. As Creator, God is the source of power. Jesus said to Pilate, You would have no power over me had it not been given to you from above. St. Paul confirms, All power comes from God. God is the beginning of all things. In the beginning was the Word. Finally, in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, allowed the redemption of of the human race. Salvation is individual and requires from ourselves an acceptance of our nature. God wanted us to be political animals. However, life in society is only possible because we need each other because we are indifferent and therefore because we are different and therefore unequal. Okay, that's the Christian concept of man. What I'm about to read you is the revolutionary concept of man. And I'm going to take a side detour from the article here and take you into Catholic Twitter world for a little bit once we get there, okay? Here's the revolutionary concept of man. There is no human nature. Man continually evolves through the ages towards something superior. This is the theory of evolutionism, the myth of the progress of humanity, But towards what can man progress if not towards a sort of angelic and then divine state? There can be no fixed morality. Better still, modern man superbly believes that he has reached the adult phase of his evolution. He must therefore free himself from this morality of another age developed by the archaic, crude, and masochistic spirits of our ancestors. Evolution is inevitable. There is the famous meaning in history. The revolution accelerates humanity's awareness of its great destiny. Men on the path to divinity can finally decide for himself. The German Hegelian philosopher Farbach said, The absolute being, the God of man, is the very being of man. The man of modernity now asserts himself to be the source of power as declared in Article 3 of the Declaration of the Rights of Man and the Citizens of 1791. Quote, the principle of all sovereignty resides essentially in the nation. And Article 2 of Title 3 of the Constitution of 1791 adds, quote, the nation from which alone all power emanates. Bishop Gaum summarizes the revolutionary doctrine thus, quote, I am hatred of every religious and social order that man has not established and in which he is not king and God together. I am the proclamation of the rights of man against the rights of God. I am the philosophy of revolt, the politics of revolt, the religion of revolt. I am armed negation. I am the foundation of the religious and social state on the will of man instead of the will of God. In a word, I am anarchy, because I am God dethroned, and man put in his place. This is why I call myself revolution, that is to say, overthrow, because I put above what, according to eternal laws, must be below, and below what must be above." 
the Freemason and positivist, positivist, positivist minister, Jules Ferry, said nothing else. Quote, my goal is to organize humanity without God and without a king. The revolution presents itself as a permanent and eternal movement. In the beginning was the action, according to the famous words of Faust in the tragedy of the Freemasons, Goethe. The revolutionary state poses as a redeemer and claims to bring collective salvation through the achievement of equality. Jules Ferry further declares, quote, What is equality in the first place? This is the very law of human progress. It is more than a theory. It is a social fact. It is the very essence and legitimacy of the society to which we belong. Indeed, human society has only one ultimate goal, to attenuate more and more through the ages the primitive inequalities given by nature. That is the revolutionary. Now, before I move on, okay, that, uh, okay, let me read you one more thing. Problems concerning the sustainability of the revolutionary process. However, if the revolution frees itself from nature, if it is not natural, how can we explain its longevity for more than two centuries? How come the number of followers of the Godman city keeps increasing. How can we explain this artificial and permanent movement of conversation of spirits from the city of God to the city of Godman? An artificial and permanent movement can only be maintained by a motor. Hence, this idea of modeling the revolutionary phenomenon with an engine. We got to find out what is the engine of the revolution. What is keeping it going? That's the question that we're trying to ask ourselves. If you are just tuning in, this is Paratalk here on the Crusade Channel, live talk radio the way it should be, always on air, always online, broadcasting from RTF South, uh, subject to solar flares, causing a little bit of squealing in the equipment. Can't figure out how to get rid of it. Not sure what to do restarted everything, unplugged everything, cleaned everything. Didn't bring 17 microphones down to the uh, unnamed non-American nation that I'm in right now, but conceivably will be back in the RTF studio soon enough. Soon enough, ladies and gentlemen. Um, we are talking about... Why are we talking about this? Well, you couldn't go online over the weekend and not be subjected to smut. Not smut that is produced in some Jewish uh, studio in Canada. Not smut owned by some rabbi. No, I'm talking about self-produced smut in one of the chambers of the United States Senate. And people are saying that the Temple of Democracy has been profaned. It has been desecrated. But my argument is that rather than it being desecrated, it has been re-consecrated. And I am in a roundabout way, and I'm going to have to go to commercial break and continue this, this argument. I am in a roundabout way going to try to convince you of the truth of that statement. That the the act of senatorial sodomy was merely a reconsecration of the so-called temple of democracy. And that that so-called temple of democracy needs to, from time to time, be reconsecrated whenever there is a, you know, uh, an act of desecration. For example, January 6th. I know I'm flipping these terms on their heads. I think more than half of you are with me right now. And by the end of this, if you stick it out, I think you're going to find this to be most interesting. Um, after the commercial break, I'll be reading some encyclicals from Pope Leo, some thoughts on universal suffrage. Um, I, I think this is really good stuff here. But before I go, I want to take my own little detour here. Can I interrupt myself? 
like nested? Can I like have nested interruptions, an interruption within an interruption within an interruption? I suppose I can do that because it's my show and I can do that. I don't like it when people interrupt me though. I really don't, but I don't mind interrupting myself. See, there's a, there's a, there's an imperfection there for you. Um, the Christian conception of man is so important because you even have guys like Eric Sammons, who's, I'm not picking on Eric Sammons, okay? I'm just saying guys like Eric Sammons, although he is one of them. He's the, he's the editor of Crisis Magazine. Crisis Magazine went and bought 1 Peter 5, it has financial ties to, I forget who their parent is, but I think their ultimate parent is EWTN. EWTN is the ultimate parent to a lot of these places. Even like some of the left-leaning Catholic so-called rags. Uh, CNA. CNA that has no love for traditionalists. Catholic News Agency. I'm pretty sure that's a subsidiary of EWTN. And I'm pretty sure... What is the relationship? I think that Crisis actually rolls up into Sophia Institute Press. Maybe the maybe that's their parent company. Anyway, all of these so-called brands that you see that are out there, Church Pop and Catholic Gentlemen and CNA, EWT, they're all ultimately owned by a very f- short list of people. Church Pop is a brand that's owned by a guy in Texas who also owns the Catholic gentleman. The Catholic gentleman is a brand which was sold. One Peter five is a brand which was sold to crisis magazine and trad ish articles are published in one Peter five for trad ish people to consume to keep the revenue going. Um, it's a business. And does, do the, do the people who run One Peter Five or Crisis Magazine, do they own the means of production? This is a question that Mike Church would ask. The king dude himself. They don't. They don't own the means of production. They're just wage cucks working for the man, accountable for their opinions to the guy writing the checks, okay? It's not an attack. It's just a statement of fact. What is an attack is the idea that there can possibly be theistic evolution. This guy, Eric Sammons, gets out on Twitter and is like, I think I'm for theistic evolution, but it's a, it's not, it's a weak opinion. I'm just saying that that's where I found I did a deep dive and that's where I landed. Well, looky, looky, looky. You don't have that right to examine it deeply and just fall wherever the heck you, you feel like falling. That's not how this works, sir. You will land where the truth is. You will land where the magisterium of the church tells you to land. The Christian concept of man is that there is one human nature throughout the ages. We, from all time, have asked ourselves the same questions, had the same experiences, had the same feelings, had the same passions, distresses, and hopes. That's the Christian concept of man. The revolutionary concept of man is that man is continually evolving towards something, something superior. What is superior? An angel? God? That is the revolutionary concept of man. The idea that there is theistic evolution and that the earth is 20 gajillion, billion, trillion, zillion years old. is fake for two reasons. And I'll leave you with this before we go to commercial break. I know we're running long. The first reason it's fake is because I 
am not more evolved than Christ. My body is not more evolved than Christ. My human nature is not more perfect than the human nature of Christ. I am not more of a human. I am not more perfect of a human. I am not more angelic. I am not more of a of a God. I am exactly the same human stuff. Exactly the same human nature, exactly the same human stuff. Okay? The second reason it's false is because what are the raw ingredients of evolution? I don't care if it's theistic evolution or random evolution or any other version of Darwinian evolution that you can imagine. What are the raw ingredients needed for Darwin's theory to work? The raw ingredients are you need to have struggle for survival. Death, decay, disease, starvation, scarcity of food, danger, predators, violent death, etc. You have to have struggle for survival. And when you have struggle for survival, then the strong will survive, right? That's what you need. Well, here's the problem with that, Mr. Theistic Evolution, Mr. Eric Sammons, editor of a Catholic magazine. It's called The Doctrine of Original Sin. It's called Genesis. Prior to the fall, prior to original sin, Everyone lived in perfect harmony. There was no death. There was no disease. There was no scarcity. There was no struggle for, sur- for food. There was no struggle for survival. There was no decay. There were no viruses. There was no feeling of hunger. So you don't have the raw ingredients prior to the fall of man for evolution to even work. So for your theory to work, for you to say that we came from monkeys, and that's what he's saying, editor of a traditional Catholic magazine who owns another traditional Catholic magazine out on Twitter saying that Adam and Eve were born from monkeys. That's what he's saying, that Adam and Eve were born from monkeys and that God lied in Genesis, and that actually the struggle for survival was not brought into existence by the fall of man, as is depicted in Genesis very clearly, as a punishment for sin. No, it wasn't sin that brought that into the world. It was God. This man impugns the character of God. He implies that God is a bad God because he introduced in his malice, in his wickedness, death, destruction, disease, predatory behavior, violent death, struggle for survival, scarcity of resources. That God introduced those things just so that he could direct evolution so that Adam and Eve could be born of a monkey. I tell you, even in the trad world, the revolutionary concept of man is present. And would you be surprised to learn that this same man is an absolute dyed-in-the-wool libertarian vote harder? He's a vote harder libertarian. Well, this article is going to connect those things. The revolutionary concept of man with the revolutionary concept of man's society when we come back don't go anywhere but if you are feeling up to it there was something i wanted to talk to you about fire away i was listening to the wireless this morning where they described this fog as an act of God. Now, in your letter that you sent me, you said, 
Loyalty to the ideal you have inherited is your duty above everything else. Because the calling comes from the highest source, from God himself. Yes. Do you really believe that? Monarchy is God's sacred mission to grace and dignify the earth, to give ordinary people an ideal to strive towards, an example of nobility and duty to raise them in their wretched lives. Monarchy is a calling from God. That is why you're crowned in an abbey, not a government building, why you're anointed, not appointed. It's an archbishop that puts the crown on your head, not a minister or public servant, which means that you are answerable to God in your duty, not the public. On Sunday, it was a great, my great honor to be sworn in as speaker and to preside over a sacred ritual of renewal as we gathered under this dome of this temple of democracy to open the 117th Congress. As we gathered under this dome of this temple of democracy to open the 117th Congress. Temple of democracy, temple of democracy. This temple to democracy was desecrated. Its windows smashed, our offices vandalized. The world saw Americans' elected officials hurriedly ushered out because they were in harm's way. This temple to democracy, this temple to democracy, this temple to democracy was desecrated, was desecrated, was desecrated. This is America's day. This is democracy's day. A day of history and hope, of renewal and resolve. Through a crucible for the ages, America has been tested anew and America has risen to the challenge. Today, we celebrate the triumph, not of a candidate, but of a cause, the cause of democracy. The people, the will of the people has been heard and the will of the people has been heeded. We've learned again that democracy is precious. Democracy is fragile. And at this hour, my friends, Democracy has prevailed. <laughs> democracy is precious. Democracy is fragile. Democracy is precious. Democracy is fragile. Democracy is fragile. I, I, uh, I find this to be a very emotional time. I said to the members, we're very passionate to our reaction to this assault on our democracy, on this temple to democracy. It's a temple to democracy. Welcome back to the program. Mike Parrott here, host of Parrot Talk, every single day, Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. Central Standard Time. Here on the Crusade Channel, live talk radio the way it should be, always on air, always online, always happy to be here. Broadcasting from the RTF South temporary position in a, uh, in a non-American country. And we've been talking about the revolution. We will have run out of room today to go where I wanted to take you. But I'm going to take you as far as we can go, and maybe we can turn this into a two-part series, and we can go where we need to go tomorrow. What we have covered so far are the two competing visions of man, the two cities of man, city of man, city of God, very, uh, very Augustinian. In the one sense, let me see if I can find this introductory quote. This is from the Bishop of Hippo. Two loves built two cities. Self-love to the point of contempt for God made the earthly city. And love of God to the point of self-contempt made the city of God. We have two revolutionary ideals here. We have the revolutionary ideal of the concept of man as someone who just gets better and better. 
How many of us, if we're being very honest, very scrupulously honest with ourselves, how many of us secretly hold some version of this revolutionary concept of man in our own hearts? When we think about mankind, do we not think we are getting smarter? We're taller, we're healthier, we know more, we're better. We have better technology, we have better societies, we have better transportation and communication and electronics and better entertainment and better nutrition, and we have less wars and we have longer lives. We are evolving towards something better. There is progress. Man is progressing towards something that is better than the old dusty version of man. Man used to be stinky, filthy, didn't shower very often. Man used to toil in the fields in non-productive lives. Now we have productive financial assets working for us 24-7. Man, how many of us have, have some of these underlying thoughts about man? I think most of us do. I really do. I think most of us do. I think most of us think to ourselves... We are so much better today than 500 years ago, than 1,000 years ago, than 1,500 years ago. And even if you think that we're slightly better, more improved, more technology, more whatever, you may also think, and here's the more insidious part, that we are better somehow, that we are different, that we are changed, that we are better creatures. And if we are better... What trajectory are we moving towards? What destination? What glide path are we on? If you say that we are better in some respect, to what end are we traveling? That, my friends, is the revolutionary concept of man. And... There can be, you wonder why our society has changed so much? You wonder why the groomers are taking over? You wonder why it is that morality has collapsed just in the last 15 years? Just a, it, the bottom has fallen out. Anything is permissible. I started this segment in the last segment discussing the senatorial sodomy that was live streamed that you couldn't escape from over the weekend. How did it come to this? How did the temple of democracy be reconsecrated via the, the, the solemn act of uh, unnatural inclinations? Because there is no fixed morality. When man is moving, when mankind, the nature of man is changing, when the nature of man is improving or progressing towards something, when you cannot define human nature because it's not fixed, because it's variable, then guess what else isn't fixed? Morality. Morality is not fixed. It's variable. It depends on the time. Morality is dependent on what the current understanding of morality is. You wonder why Dr. Gay at Harvard University can get away with uh, her mostly bogus plagiarism. And if you accuse her of plagiarism, then you're just racist. Because our new understanding of morality is that the sin of racism is far worse than, than the sin of plagiarism. Accusing a black woman of doing the thing that the black woman actually did is a worse crime than the sin against truth and justice that the black woman committed when she lied to everybody. And that's the new understanding of morality. See, morality has to keep pace with the changing concepts of the revolutionary understanding of man. And that's why there is no fixed morality, and that's why in the revolutionary society that we live in now, we're in freefall. We're in absolute freefall. So I'm going to have to keep you in suspense. I hate to do this to you. 
but we have simply run out of time. This happens to us occasionally here on the program, and I know that you'll be looking forward to tomorrow's episode where I am going to introduce you what is the engine of the revolution? What is keeping the revolution going? Because the paper asks the following question. How can we explain this artificial and permanent movement from the city of God to the city of man? How can we explain this? If we're going to build a model... You have to have the engine of the model. We, we've been moving towards the city of man for 250 years. But why? You can't just have one singular event in 17... You can't just say 1789. That's why. That's not an explanation. You can't just say 1776. You can't just say 1717, the founding of the Freemasons. What is the engine... What is the horsepower? What is the locomotive? What is the, the change agent that is driving the revolution even to this day? It's not momentum. It's not reverberations from 1789. It's definitely something else. And I'm going to tell you what that something else is tomorrow here on this illustrious program. But until then, I just have to bid you farewell and adieu. And thank you for listening. This is Paratalk here on the Crusade Channel, where we broadcast the truth unvarnished and unapologetically, Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. Central Standard Time. It's been a pleasure being with you. Thank you for bearing with me on this Monday morning, and I will see you tomorrow. God bless you. Take care now. This is Parrot Talk. Brought to you by Restoring the Faith Media. Restoringthefaith.com.